We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis. We are streaming live on Wednesday night, April 26, 2023. And Jim, I got to tell you, everything is awesome with the Chicago White Sox. I have no idea... Why people are upset as much as they are now. Things are going to turn around. It's all sunshine and rainbows on the south side, baby. As the if White Sox panic- losing streak extends to seven games. <laughs> if we panic, we're dead. That's kind of, that's, <laughs> that's basically it seems to be every single Pedro Griffal pregame and postgame comment. And uh, well, I like the comment he had today, uh, James Fegan related. I missed it. Oh, uh, I'll have to find the exact quote. I, I, I don't want to paraphrase, so go ahead and talk. I will find the quote just because... Uh, I don't want to spoil the wording. Okay, excellent. I, I While you look for that, uh, I really appreciate the comments early from those on YouTube. So if you're watching the stream via YouTube, uh, you can participate in the comment section. Feel free to post your comments and questions. Matthew Lucas, really enjoy the content, guys. Appreciate it. I am appreciate, appreciating you guys, uh, especially a, a lot of people in recent days have been very kind uh, and have expressed how much that they enjoy the content that we produce on Socks Machine, whether it's the videos, the podcast, the writings every single day. Uh, maybe it's uh, mercy that they're showing us, Jim, mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as in kindness of what's going on. Because uh, when you, again, I'll just bring you know, the graphic in the bottom line. And for those that are listening to the podcast, the audio-only feed, again, we do stream Socks Machine live episodes on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. So you, you don't get a chance to see the graphics, but the, again, the losing streak is seven games and I don't want to do like a full breakdown of game by game of the white Sox and blue Jay series, because one it's depressing and two, it's very repetitive, especially games two and three, but were you able to find what Grafal said? Because I'm, I'm curious yes. here because now the, the, the losing streak is seven games and things are getting really ugly. This was before the seventh loss, but he said, uh, quote, I've been on teams where you go through a streak like this and you know that the season's over. This doesn't feel like that. 
well that that inspires me yeah <laughs> believe me i know a turd when i see one and then yeah it's <laughs> if this doesn't look like that then what does that look like that was my question yeah so that was before losing today seven to nothing he said yes that. <laughs> correct Brady two Georgia straight fall. shutouts scoring in one of 27 innings on the series <laughs> terrific uh, i i only laugh because what's your other option cry because oh yeah this is the well, worst anger. start since 1986 and the anger would be justified indifference indifference definitely justified yes Yes, most definitely. But yeah, the Chicago White Sox are 7-18. and 18. This is the worst start since 1986 when Hawk Harrelson was the general manager. In that year... Sorry, I just saw the James uh, Fegan, because uh, when I was scrolling back up through the White Sox list on Twitter, the headline, White Sox lose seven consecutive game. Quote, we can't curl up in a ball. <laughs> is that what your fault said after well, this one? I'm not sure if it's him, but just like, that's the headline. We can't curl up in a ball. Just like, those are, those are fighting words. <laughs> we can't lay down and die. We yeah. have to stand up. We have to show something. If we play dead, maybe they'll leave us alone. <laughs> oh, we got such a long way to go in this season. Uh... <laughs> that was Sebi Zavala. Okay. Oh. We have to find a start a way to start winning, and we can't curl up in a ball. If you curl up in a ball, then you leave our locker room. So, oh, interesting words coming from the White Sox backup catcher. Yeah, so the worst start since 1986, and in 1986 they did end up winning the 26 games. So the 1986 White Sox improved to eight and 18 in that season. And in this episode, we'll get to the Tampa Bay Rays series later in the show as the Rays come to Chicago. The White Sox are heading home. Uh, they have four games against the Tampa Bay Rays, followed up by a day off, and then three home games against the Minnesota Twins. And on the year, they are they have already visited the Twins and the Rays this month, and they went one and five. So they're hoping that things reverse course at home. But the White Sox are currently three and six at home, and they've lost every home series to start the season. So I apologize my skepticism that things are going to suddenly turn around. But in the course of this week, be, between podcast episodes, and for those that don't listen to the White Sox wake-up call or they missed our playback watch party with our friends from the 108 during Tuesday night's game between the White Sox and Blue Jays. I mean, we heard from Lance Lynn talking to A.J. Prasinski. We heard from Steve Stone suggesting that Lance Lynn should eat more salads. Ozzie Guillen is now threatening to strip every time the White Sox win. When he's not pantomiming dumps on the post-game show. Really? I miss that. Yeah. Talking about, you know, Sebi or uh, Pedro Grafal talking about flushing games and just how he keeps doing that. Just like, that's going to be the, uh, he, like he was basically saying like, I'm walking to the uh, bathroom on the airplane. And then he took a squat and he was pretending to flush, flush, flush. So hmm. that's where that's, we're at. That's where we're at. And Ken Williams spoke uh, and he spoke about accountability which is funny because that doesn't exist with the White Sox. Yeah. He's sad, though. He, he is sad. Jim, we've been doing this for 10 seasons, man. We, we've seen stuff. We have seen some things. And I feel like at this moment, we are just cataloging another terrible White Sox season. 
But I've got a feeling out of all the bad seasons we have seen from the Chicago White Sox, when you look at the circumstances coming into 2023 and what's riding on this season and really the legacy of some of these front office executives and perhaps even the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, we might be cataloging the worst White Sox season in our lifetime. Could be. I mean, especially relative to the stakes, as you mentioned, like, you know, we've seen them lose a hundred games. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, that was just as bad as you think. You know, the memories fade a little bit because it was just a season that was supposed to be bad and they were, but um, when you look at just the hopes and the two years beforehand with Tony LaRusa and how those were wasted and this is uh, the the finding out stage. The last two years, we're effing around. This is finding out, and uh, uh, we're finding out something. Uh, the key, though, is has Jerry Reinsdorf learned anything? Uh, will he care enough? Will he? Yeah, is he still on no new friends when it comes to hiring a front office? Is it just going to be Chris Getz? Come on up, Rick Hahn. You're now vice president of baseball thought and, you know, just making up some garbage title for him. And then, uh, you know, Chris Getz comes up and, you know, brings his uh, track record of hiring creeps to manager jobs in the minor leagues. And it's his turn now to uh, make bigger decisions. Like that's doesn't sound good. So it does feel like it's a turning point or an inflection point, certainly on the health of this franchise. Uh, and even like in action, is an inflection point. That's like certainly a choice. Like if the White Sox do nothing, uh, certainly expected, certainly can see Jerry Ronsurf choosing like, you know, Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn can hire yet another manager, you know, preside over another rebuild, what have you. But fans are just not going to care. Uh, and, you know, sports radio, probably not going to care, especially if the Bears get good, uh, not going to care. Like just the, 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 just, uh, neglect the indifference is going to be um stark and and scary i think for a lot of people who uh are, you know whose fortunes are tied to uh jerry reinsdorf and his decision making or his lack of decision making and uh that's it's you know i want to fast forward to know what happens because that's certainly just it's it's a dangerous situation right now that it is and some the national media is starting to pay attention here. So Bob Nightingale tweeted brutal road trip for the White Sox ends with an eight to nothing loss. Oh, I forgot a run. I said that the White Sox lost seven to nothing. I, I clearly was really paying attention towards the end of the game. Uh, the White Sox were outscored 36 to 13 on this road trip as they go. zero and six, the last five games, six runs, 19 hits. And uh, let's talk about this, uh, this stretch for the White Sox in the last 13 games. The White Sox offense is hitting 186, and their on-base percentage is 254, and they're slugging just 310. They've hit 11 home runs in the last 13 games, but they've only scored 37 runs, so they're averaging three runs per game, and again, they haven't scored in the last two games. They're also not running. The White Sox are just two for four in stolen bases in the last 13 games. Only four stolen base attempts by the Chicago White Sox in the last 13 games, which just looking at the offense, Jim, when you look at these numbers, Tim Anderson's been out and it's pretty clear based on the tendencies, even with like Pedro Grafal, and we'll come back to this slide in a moment. And for the podcast listeners, 
will read you off at how the White Sox pitching has been doing. But like for the White Sox offense, I know that it you know certain players have been struggling. But overall, like the entire team with an OPS below 600 and even when they get on base, I know that that not everyone can steal bases. Mm-hmm. But I was also pretty shocked that since Tim Anderson has been on the injured list, the White Sox only have four stolen base attempts. I, I was pretty surprised by that. I am, and I am not surprised, just because, like, as you mentioned, nobody's getting on base, especially in the second half of games. Like, the offense just goes completely silent. And, you know, the what was it, 10 strikeouts and 11 at-bats to close out the game against uh, Blue Jays relief pitchers. I think it was 11 in a row, 10 by strikeout. Uh, it's, you know... It's, I guess it's, what did Lance Lynn say? Concepts? That it's new concepts that the White Sox hitters are trying to learn and the position players are trying to learn and uh, pitchers are not picking up the slack for them. But it looks like last year, but worse. And, you know, I guess Frank Menachino can feel a little bit better about himself saying like, you know, I was doing the best I could with what I had. And this is what happens when you try to uh, fight it. When you try to uh, lead this White Sox offense to be something it's not. You know, the question was entering the season, uh, you know, were they being held back? And maybe not. Maybe it's a case where uh, Menachino was letting their freak flag fly, you know, embracing grounders and singles because, like, it's better than striking out. It's better than working a count and you don't know how to work counts. I, I don't know, but it's just the way they disappear – there's no reason to run. There's no opportunity to run. If like Andrew Vaughn's the only one getting on base, like he's not going to run. So uh, yeah, that, that's why it's, they should be running. But then when you look at who's actually getting on base and how many of them are like, you know, DHs, they're not going to. And that's really the, just that's, that's the rub is that like they have three guys hitting at any one point if they're lucky and they're all guys who should be DHing. So offensively, the White Sox, again, getting nothing on the offensive standpoint. And Michael Kopech was beating himself up after the game, saying that he should have pitched better. And sure, that, that's true. But even if Michael Kopech pitched better, it's not going to change the result of the game because the White Sox simply just didn't score. Uh, the White Sox were actually outscored 20-2 to in the three games against the Toronto Blue Jays. On the pitching side, the staff ERA in the last 13 games is 5.29. And before you roll your eyes... That's actually an improvement uh, before <laughs> before the last 13 games. In 112 innings pitched, they have walked 59 batters. I mean, that's a lot of walks. And they have 118 strikeouts, so they're averaging more than a strikeout per inning. That's pretty good. But the whip total, 1.57 from the White Sox pitchers. So what we have seen in the last 13 games for the White Sox, Jim, is it's like pulling teeth right now for the White Sox offense to get on base. Complete opposite for opposing hitters against White Sox pitching. Like opposing teams are getting multiple opportunities to put up crooked numbers on the board. And it seems like White Sox pitchers get themselves into a danger zone, especially when facing a lineup for the second time through. Like the third and fourth inning is suddenly like they're trying to Try, trespass enemy territory and sidestepping minds and hoping that they don't step on one. And then all of a sudden they give up a three run homer and the game feels like it's over because the White Sox offense is just not, they don't have a lot of punch into it. Like mm-hmm. that's what White Sox games have felt like all of April. 
And that's where it's a, a big concern because I understand where the players are coming from. And I understand that Pedro Grafal is trying to in, send out some type of positive vibes and inspiration during this terrible start. But when you got a pitching staff that's allowing way too many base runners, especially free passes like walks, and you have an offense who refuses to take walks and do the little things to try to get on base, you just have this like perfect storm of a disaster brewing here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exactly sure in how you stop it. Especially since Griffal has no history of success. Like, it's not like Rick Renteria, like say, you know, I see Rick Renteria in the comments, like, let's say this was Rick Renteria's fifth year and you know, it, it's off to a rough start. Like the ax is dangling over his head, but players at least say like, we've, you know, been through battles with this guy. We've had some, some, some good runs. We've had some bad runs. We know he's had our back. We're going to try to have his, uh, you know, if he's fired. It's our fault and we'll feel terrible, but you know, it, there's some kind of relationship, some kind of understanding of, uh, what he's been able to get out of players in the past. Like Griffal has none of that. And, you know, bringing the whole Kansas city crew uh, with him, like they don't have any kind of connection with the past, uh, you know, administrations. And we thought that was a good thing. That's just because like Joe McEwing, uh, you know, hadn't really shown anything. Um, and, you know, going back to Menachino as well. And like, they just really hadn't any established any kind of special ability to get more out of players. So it was good moving on from them. But then when you bring in a new administration and they start seven and 18 and an ugly seven, 18, like you would think that there would be like, uh, you know, all seven and 18s would be ugly, but I think this is like maybe the ugliest it gets uh, just because there are no like slobber knocker 13 to 11 losses. There are no, uh, maybe there's the one like Lopez blue, but otherwise it's just a whole bunch of boring flat losses where they don't score in the second half of games. They never pose a threat. And then at the end of games, they're just sitting in the dugout staring onto the field. So yeah, I, I started looking up like when, was the earliest a manager's ever been fired, which I don't think will happen given how much uh, Rick Hahn uh, gushed over Grafal when he was hired and how this is our guy. But it has the, you know, if there were no loyalty to Grafal, like this had all this, you know, markings of a situation where they might cut him just because there's no response whatsoever. And part of it is the injuries and lack of depth, but just the, the, the flatness and the repetitiveness of the games themselves is what's really troubling. To that point, though, I don't know if Grafal is sitting on a hot seat, though. As long oh, no, as Kevin Williams and Rick Hahn yeah. are in charge, I don't think he is. Now, to your point, if Jerry Ryan starts as a change of heart and someone from outside the organization comes, I think you're absolutely right. Like, Grafal should go on Indeed.com and have his resume ready. Like, he, he could be in serious <laughs> jeopardy. I think he has his resume ready already. He just doesn't have to update it. <laughs> We're, I, yeah. I, I took a gap here. I went to went traveling in Europe, backpacking. <laughs> went to find uh, myself. The, this image, for those that are watching on the live stream or the the recap of the video, it, different feeling now. Like the, the image that I posted for the podcast listeners and listening to the audio only is when Pedro Grafal got hired and he's got a big smile on his face and Rick Hahn is, you know, he's got that smirk that he has. You know, everyone's happy. I wonder if you had them side by side, like what the what they would look like now after the first 25 games of this season. It's a good thing Griffal's already bald because he would look a lot older, <laughs> I think, right now. Uh, lot, but yeah, I just I thought of the quote, you know, when he was going around his introductory uh, 
uh, period to different you know interviews with TV stations, radio stations, and you know the the White Sox talk uh, NBC Sports Chicago account is the one I found saying we're going to prepare to every night to kick your ass and like wow like that's a completely different it, it feels like two managers ago based on just the way it's unfolded but yeah I, I agree uh, in in the comments James saying that Pedro leaving doesn't solve the damn thing and we're not talking about it as a um, as a solution just more of a matter of like how much they overhaul and, you know, just, just how flat they are. Like, yeah, this is Rick Hans guy. This is the guy who is supposed to solve all of the bridge issues between the front office and the clubhouse that uh, Tony, uh, Tony LaRusa didn't or uh, just ignored because he had a direct line of Jerry Reinsdorf. And that's what's so, you know, befuddling about the last two years is like, yeah, people. I, I hear. I see people now talking about like, well, I guess Tony wasn't the problem, or I guess the problems are bigger than Tony, and and you know, it makes you look at his years differently. And to me, it's like, no, it doesn't. It's just more a matter of, it it underscores the idea that because they wasted the last two years on Tony Larusa, and because especially twenty twenty two, how unmanaged that team was, that you had no idea about like whether the talent was actually the problem. Like the the leadership uh, issues are so pervasive that it could have warped anything about what the product looked like. And now we're looking at this uh, team saying, Oh, I guess the roster was a problem too, but because it was so murky with just everything going on around the manager's chair, that there's just no way to know, or at least you know, way to have a real firm idea that like a drastic overhaul is needed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you're going to be on Bernstein and Holmes tomorrow, unless they change their mind after what happened (laughs) in Toronto. Uh, And to Dan's point, and this is something he keeps repeating when he talks about the White Sox and when things struggle, who is in charge? So going back to Ken, Kenny Williams and his comments, speaking to Daryl Van Scowen of the Chicago Sun-Times, and kudos to Dan to Daryl. I mean, Daryl Van Scowen. Credit to Daryl to get Ken Williams on the phone and to speak on record. I guess, is Ken Williams in charge here, Jim? We haven't heard from Rick Hahn, and maybe we will hear from Rick Hahn tomorrow with the seven-game homestand that he'll talk about this start. Like, who who's actually in charge here? Who Who's running this ship for the Chicago White Sox? That's a good question because theoretically it's Jerry Reinsdorf and that's the way that Williams 
directed it saying, well, you know, that's, uh, you know, we'll see what changes are made. Uh, Kenny sounded a little bit divorced from like the, uh, big question about how much change is needed. Like he said, we'll look at everything. And of course, you know, accountability is not a problem around here, which is very funny. Well, everybody jumped on that one and saying like, yeah, that's the last word, you know, take accountability out of your mouth <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is, is basically the unanimous refrain from White Sox fans having read that. But uh, the way Williams made it sound, he, he kind of punted it to the ownership uh, suite or chairman suite, but then at least I read it with a tone of like, but he's not going to do anything. You know, so it's just, it's a case of just like a suggestion, uh, uh, a suggestion box of the paper shredder. That's just kind of what it reminds me of uh, that idea of something needs to happen. We'll all file upstairs and, and upstairs never opens the door. It's just a, a pile of uh, newspapers uh, still bundled up and just because just shut off from everything. And that's how I look at it. And just it's, Jerry's in charge. And until he shows some initiative to either put somebody else in charge, the C-suite uh, person that you mentioned, like club president mm -hmm. to take care of decisions uh, above baseball operations. Uh, really, it just seems like Kenny's in charge. And when Kenny wants to quit is when he'll uh, leave. And when Rick Hahn wants to quit, because over the course of the winter, uh, Hahn made it sound like his decision, uh, kind of like John Paxson saying that, uh, you know, when I know I can't do the job, that's when I'll leave. And I know I can do this job. Like, well, great. So we're just going to watch. It's, it's like uh, watching somebody at a, a piano recital, like screwing up the third note saying, wait, hold on. Yeah, getting four notes. In, oh, oh, hold on. And getting two notes in. Whoa, oh, no. And just, we don't have all day, Rick. We don't have our, you know, we're wasting our lives here, basically. <laughs> what, you know, watching them try to figure out what most of baseball has already figured out, which is like how to win a postseason series or how to win the division two years in a row. Like the entire league, aside from maybe like the Rockies and, and the Marlins have figured that out and the White Sox are still lagging well behind. Well, that was my fear. And I tweeted that out a couple of days ago. Like my biggest fear with the White Sox is that they are becoming the Colorado Rockies of the American League. Now, some yeah. people have poked fun at me. They're like becoming. They're already there, Josh. The backs of their jerseys are basically identical. Pretty much. Uh, Pinstripes, just, lettering numbers. They're all the same. Yeah, pretty much. They're they just need a little add a little purple uh, to the uniforms. Now, what I mean about the Rockies is like everybody makes fun of the Rockies. And everybody makes fun of the Rockies because they just have an archaic way and a really uniquely bad way of building out their baseball team. And it's clearly not successful. And they need to overhaul their entire thinking because look at just how strong their division is, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the Dodgers and the Padres. And even the Diamondbacks are starting to make a run here. And they got a nice little young core that they have put together out west in Arizona. And for the Rockies, it's like, hey, they threw a bunch of money at Chris Bryant. Why? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. how does that help with their direction? Like, what is the purpose here? What's the intention? That's why, like, with the Rockies, everybody makes fun of them because they don't have a direction. They're directionless. The White Sox, that's my fear. Like, last year, they had a direction. We thought of every excuse. We talked through every excuse that they came up with on why they were underachieving. And even though they got into September, September 1st, they were just four games back, the division lead, they still had a chance. And they ended up finishing like 11 games back of Cleveland uh, at the end of September uh, to finish in second place. And 
We, we talked through all those, but now in 2023, when you're seven and 18, you're Oh seven and one in series play, man, these next seven games don't look pretty four mm-hmm. against the rays, three against the twins. I mean, you're already 11 games below 500. You could be 14 games below 500 before you go on your road trip and everybody's out there, including us in Cincinnati to watch the right, the white Sox and reds. Like, if this gets to the point that this is the worst start in White Sox history since like the 1950s, 40s, when those teams were absolutely brutal, and I mean like the early 50s, then every other team in Major League Baseball would fire their GM right now. Mm-hmm. And the reason they would is because the Major League Baseball draft is coming. So you clearly need a new direction in how to run your baseball ops have somebody else with fresh eyes, take a look at the roster, start preparing to sell in July because you're making that decision now because this season is over and you just don't have the roster to compete on a daily basis. But like the Rockies, the White Sox are not going to do that because they have their own archaic way of running baseball ops. And that archaic way is getting, (laughs) it's stopping them from where they wanted to go and what their desires were during this contention window. And now everything is blowing up in their face. And the Rockies, especially under Jeff Breidich, like really snotty, really snarky, despite having not having accomplished anything, just, uh, you know, nothing but uh, jabs at people who dare criticize the way they do things. And the White Sox are often adopting that stance, uh, even though there is no, meaningful success to back it up, especially recently. Like uh, I I know a lot about how they operate because Dan Zimborski enjoys needling them so Mm -hmm. much. And I can imagine the White Sox might be next in terms of uh, being the, uh, you know, just the team that can't stop uh, embarrassing itself just with either with the way it plays or the way it conducts itself after the way it plays uh, with, you know, a, a lack of, real humility and you know part of that humility is like making changes when you know you realize that these you know pe- people in the front office uh you know Williams Hahn but you could pretty much clean house like they you know have not demonstrated an ability to do it for uh more than a decade now i mean that's kind of how it, you know they they've had to go through two rebuilds to get to one division title and it's you know it's getting to the point where like i'd be genuinely curious like with these next seven games, do fans want to see them go 0 and 7? Like, are fans rooting for like ultimate embarrassment versus like going 4 and 3? What are you suggesting if they go 4 and 3? Like, because they only went 4 and 3 and they only gained one game in the loss column during the homestand, that that's not enough? Yeah, it's just going to be like this slow turnaround. Maybe it is a turnaround. You know, just if they you know, go one game over 500 for a few weeks in a row. And all of a sudden, like there's seven games under 500, then like another losing streak kicks them all the way back down. Like, and it allows the white Sox to kick the can on meaningful roster changes or uh, real hard looks at how poorly they are run. Like this is the one, the one benefit of having this awful of a start is that the uh, everybody knows the emperor is no clothes. Uh, and I, I'm seeing in the comments, like people are wondering if Rick Hahn will actually have a uh, 
pregame media session the way he normally does. And sometimes like he ducks the media, like in situations like this, sometimes he has been known to disappear uh, because he has nothing to say and, and can't really um, wax rhetorical to get around things. Like th these are going to be very direct questions, uh, including like, why do you have a job or, or like, you know, maybe not exactly in those words, but like the way Daryl Van Scowen talked to Kenny Williams about like, you know, if changes need to be made, will those changes include the front office? Like these are uncomfortable questions and he's dodged them once in a while. So I wouldn't necessarily guarantee that he'll be there. So yeah, that, that's why, like if he ducks it and the White Sox go four and three, like, you know, then he can come back and say, you know, you know, it's, we're finally seeing the team as we originally constructed. We have faith in Pedro, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. I think it needs to either be like six and one or zero oh and seven. It seems to me at this point, just to either show they have some talent or uh, show that they have none. Um, in between where they they go four and three despite being outscored like eight runs over those uh, seven games is not really going to mean a whole lot and is not going to win fans back, but it is going to provide uh, the front office just the slightest bit of cover. You know, we, the comments already got a couple of votes for 0-7 during the, the stream. Uh and people have been mentioning like Chris Getz and Getz replacing Han. The thinking behind that is based on how the White Sox operate. If they're going to promote within, and that's what the White Sox do, then logically that means that Chris Getz is next in line as he's currently an assistant GM to Rick Han. He runs player development. That That's the thinking, that he could be the internal replacement of Rick Han. I agree with everyone. I don't think that'd be a good idea, uh, but that's where, for those that are asking, that's kind of where the thinking is coming from uh, with the whole yeah. Chris Getz. We are not supporting that line of thought. We are not. We could just explain where, where that line of thought is coming from. Uh, we did get this one comment from Southside Mando, who participates quite often in the Star Wars podcast that I do with Cherizi over from the 108. Uh, and this is, again, the popular question, who are the White Sox trading at the deadline? And I mentioned the national media is now paying attention to what's going on with the Chicago White Sox. And Mike Petriello of MLB.com tweeted, so Tim Anderson is the Dodgers shortstop by what, July 15th? And I want to laugh, mm -hmm. but I could see that. Like, I, yeah. I, I could see that the Dodgers need a shortstop. They, they made bold trades in the past. Like this is where we are, folks, in late April. And we have to have these conversations, even though we don't want the people. And I mentioned it on Monday that my stance is I don't want the White Sox to do anything in the trade deadline, especially if Rick Hahn and Ken Kenny Williams are still calling the shots because I don't trust them in maximizing the best return out of the players that they have. I just don't. And the players that they do trade, if I want to see any types of trades, are going to be the ones that they're barely bolted it to the floor like Lance Lynn because he's got a $1 million buyout. Lucas Giolito is a free agent. Yasmani Grandal is a free agent. Kendall Graveman possibly as well. Like there are easy targets to identify, but the core players that still have another year like Tim Anderson, I really haven't entertained that thought, but Anderson hopefully is coming back to the White Sox soon. He needs to have a quick rehab assignment. They're thinking about three to four games to get him back up to speed before he rejoins the team, whether that's in Chicago or maybe he rejoins the White Sox in Cincinnati when we're all there for the hashtag 108 road trip. 
But yeah, this is where we're at at the end of April. And I know Mike is somewhat kidding, but maybe again, bring up that tweet on the, the live stream. Maybe he's not kidding. Like, do we have to seriously consider this thought that some of the core players are going to be called up by the contending teams? And maybe we do start seeing a breakdown of this roster. Yeah, I think anything's in play with just how poorly they start. Like they cannot run, you know, like let's say 718 is more or less what they are. Not necessarily that win winning percentage the rest of the year in that kind of pace, but just more along lines of never in it. Uh, thoroughly out of it by the end of April and never mounting a serious threat. Kind of like the way they operate in the second half of games. Uh, just disappearing and, and and not being a factor in the division whatsoever. And it's basically like the Twins and then the Guardians if they ever get their act together. Uh yeah, they may as well start exploring all these trades just because like running the roster back, especially like say Tim Anderson, who as good as he is, does feed into some of the White Sox overarching issues with their offensive sustainability, you know, like with his just impatience, lack of play discipline, lack of walks, like he makes it work. Nobody else does. But also like when he's off his game or when his legs are not entirely underneath him, like he can hit, like we talked about Alcides Escobar. Uh, last year during the second half like his game can run aground as well and contribute to the White Sox general shortcomings so when I saw that tweet I thought like "Eh, you know we'll see if he's healthy first because like he might get banged up again and all of a sudden he's just untradeable uh, like he was last year I I really don't know but like they have so few guys with value like Cease has value um, Anderson has value Vaughn has some value I think he's still you know short of what he can be so it feels like it'd be selling low on him or at least selling too soon on him just because um, he's figuring it out. Like he's making progress um, and he hasn't quite peaked uh, with that progress yet. But, you know, the other parts who are returning, you know, Jimenez, Mancada, uh, Robert, by nature of the contracts, they're so flawed or banged up or flawed because they're banged up that you can't build around them anymore. So you may as well, like it's, not so much like a teardown, just more along the lines of just this roster melting and having to uh, try to figure out another one. Like they don't have to like uh, tear it to shreds. It's just more kind of falling apart as it is. You got some money coming off the books, right? And if somebody's going to offer you something halfway interesting, you, you make that trade. Like I think every article especially starting June when taking a look at the trade market, you're going to hear a lot about Lucas Giolito because he's a free agent. And I don't think the White Sox have any desire to pay market price for Lucas Giolito. So could Lucas Giolito go before the deadline? Absolutely. I I will say this. I will be shocked if Lucas Giolito finishes the season with the White Sox. Despite how poorly he's pitching, I could see Lance Lynn gone, so the White Sox save a million dollars on the buyout because it's important that they saved a million dollars, Jim. <laughs> Send bonus <laughs> pool money. International bonus pool money. Uh, don't do that. Please, that, no. Oh, my God. You're going to have me go on a meltdown rant about that. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, if someone's starting catcher gets hurt, could be moved because he's a pending free agent. So there's some realistic targets. I, I just... The Tim Anderson one just caught my attention because while it's somewhat of a joke and it's laughing at the White Sox and how poorly they're starting, it's the Dodgers, man. They have mm-hmm. made big and bold moves like this before, and that will definitely garner White Sox attention. If you want to see a big chunk of the White Sox fandom jump ship, 
if they dealt Tim Anderson, then yeah. Then I think it's a pretty clear sign that even 2024 is going to be disaster. The team's just going to move players to shed as much payroll as possible because Rick Hunt can't spend money. And this is back-to-back seasons of the highest pay player payroll that the White Sox have ever had. And they, they are absolutely showing nothing for it. Uh, so maybe it's a reality. Maybe it's a realistic possibility. So for those that keep asking, could Tim Anderson get traded? I am now thinking he could be. So we'll see in the upcoming weeks. But to Jim's point, he's got to get healthy. So that's what's going on in White Sox right now. Everything is awesome. Uh, we're going to preview the upcoming series as the Chicago White Sox head home as they face the Tampa Bay Rays over the next four games. Before doing so, a quick PSA, especially for those that are watching on YouTube and on Twitter and on Twitch. We do have the hashtag 108 road trip. The White Sox are terrible, but hopefully you don't think our company is. As uh, along with our friends from the 108s, we are hosting a meetup in Cincinnati, May 5th through the 7th. We have over 150 people that are going to be attending the games that weekend. The Reds are not drawing and they're not playing good baseball. So it may feel like a pro White Sox crowd that weekend for a very random reason for outsiders. Uh, not understand where all these White Sox fans are coming from. And they're coming because we we have been promoting this for quite some time that this is our big road trip for this upcoming season. And we look forward to seeing everyone. And I will be continuing to post updates, especially on social media. So follow us there at Sox Machine on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Those are also our Instagram accounts as well. So if you have the gram, you can follow us on Instagram and we'll post updates as well on where the meetups are going to be and the times and such uh, around uh, Great American Ballpark on Friday, May 5th and Saturday at May 6th. We can't wait to see everyone in Cincinnati. With that said, let's now preview the upcoming series between the Chicago White Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays. And we saw what happened in St. Petersburg not that long ago, just this past weekend. So thank you mm-hmm. to the schedule makers for making this possible that the White Sox and Rays face each other this quickly. And uh, obviously they didn't know how good the Rays would be. But for the pitching problems for the Chicago White Sox, it's going to start off well. Dylan Cease and Lucas Giolito are going to get the ball Thursday and Friday night. Those games are at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. The weekend games, it's going to get interesting. You got Lance Lynn going on Saturday night, and you got Mike Clevenger going on Sunday. For the Rays, they're going to toss out Shane McClanahan. Let's see if he can break more whiff rate in the stack cast era against the White Sox batters. Uh, he'll be going on Thursday night opposing Dylan Cease. On Friday night, Zach Eflon, who completely baffled White Sox hitters. So Giolito and Cease, they're going to have to really post some zeros to keep the White Sox in the game. On Saturday, it's going to be a bullpen game. Yanni Chiretos is going to make the start. He's at least going to be the opener for the Rays. So Saturday night is a bullpen game for the Rays. And on Sunday, it's Drew Rasmussen. We did not see Rasmussen in the previous series in St. Petersburg. He's been throwing the ball very well to start the year for Tampa Bay, opposing Mike Clevenger, who has not been throwing the ball well for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Jim, this has got the makings, at least on paper, that the White Sox lose at least three of these four games. Uh, How is this going to be? Let's try to be positive for a moment. What do the White Sox have to do to produce a much different result 
than what we saw this past weekend at St. Petersburg, Florida, where they got swept. What I'm curious about with like having these series pretty much back to back or as close to it as the schedule makers allow is that, you know, going back to the Blue Jay series and the overall theme of the White Sox disappearing in the second half uh, of games, will the familiarity with the pitching staffs work for them or against them? Like, will the Rays say like, oh, I, we know how to get these guys out, like change-ups when they're not expecting them. You know, like a, a right-on-right change-up is going to blow their minds and just keep, you know, bombing them with that. And they never quite figure it out. Like, that's what I'm, you know, I guess if I if I were capable of being afraid or nervous for the White Sox, which I no longer am because uh, th- those, uh, those nerves and senses are more or less dull right now for me. That like the Rays just saw them and like, oh, we overthought our game plan way too much. This is a lot easier than we thought. And then just, you know, go about dismantling them just like they did over the course of the weekend. Like, I want to know if the White Sox actually catch on or not, or whether uh, they're incapable of doing so against a team that can make like the slightest of adjustments to throw them off their scent. I am wondering how loud the, bo- the boos are going to be, especially Thursday and Friday. If it's like the eighth inning and they're down five, nothing Mm -hmm. like that is a a real possibility. Uh, And who knows Thursday night's going to be really interesting because you have this fantastic pitching matchup again between Dylan Cease and McClanahan. And it's the first night of the NFL draft. Uh, So I think I, I wonder what inning the White Sox will be in when the Bears make their selection. But that might be when you have the loudest cheer in the stadium is when Sox nerd, the guy who does the uh, scoreboard operations at Gary Touré Field, posts who the Bears take ninth overall uh, in the NFL draft. Is maybe when you get the loudest cheer, uh, which is really depressing. Like, I I think the formula stays the same. If they want to beat the Rays, they're going to have to limit the amount of home runs the Rays hit. And that was a big factor in their weekend sweep of the Chicago White Sox last weekend. And the White Sox, to your point, you've mentioned it multiple times this episode, they have to score against somebody's bullpen. And to come full circle in this episode, with Lance Lynn talking about the preparation and that that is an adjustment that the, the White Sox have to make as far as both the pitchers and hitters. And even with, like... Pedro Grafal being the new manager and bring up the point, like, isn't this what spring training is for? If they don't find a way to have their hitters better prepared to face relievers, and if they can't score late in games, this is going to get a lot worse than before it gets better, Jim. And especially against a Rays team that is great in run prevention and following the Rays is the Minnesota Twins. And they have one of the best pitching staffs in all of Major League Baseball right now. Like, runs are going to be a pre- at a premium for the White Sox. And again, they're already not hitting. Yeah, I guess the if you're looking for silver lining, one, the Rays have lost two games in a row. So I guess this counts as uh, when you play them, to uh, use the old Hawk Harrelson saying. Also, like, the Rays really don't have a traveling fan base. Like, I would be nervous if like the Yankees were coming to town or if the Red Sox were coming to town, I'd be nervous for fans just because like I can imagine any decent team with the following, like say the twins during the summer, just taking the park over with their cheers. uh, If it unfolds like these last two blue Jays games unfolded and just being miserable for the season ticket holders who are there and just saying like, yeah, this is, you know, 
this is embarrassed. I'm, I'm embarrassed for them. I'm not embarrassed myself. I, I feel shame that this organization might not be capable of, of feeling itself. Like just it's, I've been to those games. Like I remember, you know, Cleveland in the nineties and the Red Sox and the, you know, the decade afterwards, the Yankees throughout being like, you know, when it feels like it's a, a home game on the road or a road game at home. And that's usually like the worst experience I think for any fan to feel like you're a visitor at your own ballpark. And fortunately the Rays don't have that kind of following to where they're going to be making noise in lieu of the White Sox fans booing or leaving. But uh, you know, come Monday with the twins coming into town, like that could be different. So uh, should it get to that point, you know, over the next few weeks where a traveling fan base starts making itself comfortable, like that's when I think when it's going to get real, Real sad, and to the extent that anybody's talking about the White Sox, that'll be kind of front and center of what they talk about is just how little support there actually is. And to go back to the idea of, like, you know, White Sox fans having a reason to root for them to go 0-7 rather than 4-3 and and 3-4 and just to maximize their embarrassment because, as we saw with the Bulls, uh, when the All-Star, you know, they had the All-Star game and just the entire focus was on how much fans hate this team in this front office. And that's what sparked and uh, some change in the organization. Like it's going to take that kind of embarrassment if uh, past his precedent for Jerry Reinsdorf to actually do anything about this mess. I mean, if they lose seven straight game, if they lose this homestand, they go over that's 14 straight losses. Everyone will be talking about that. Yeah. MLB network, ESPN, Fox sports. Everyone will be talking about that. So for their sake and for my sake as a season ticket holder and going to be at many of these games, hopefully the White Sox do find a way to win at least one of these games <laughs> uh, in this upcoming homestand against the Tampa Bay Rays and the Minnesota Twins. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. We really appreciate everyone that watched the live stream with us on YouTube and for those that also watched on Twitter and on Twitch. And uh, if you enjoy our work... And uh, if you could follow us again on at on Twitter at Socks Machine, if you did watch on YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already at YouTube.com/SocksMachine. And if you don't get a chance to watch Socks Machine live, you can listen to the audio version in the podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy your work and want more, you can get more at Patreon.com/SocksMachine where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of the podcast and the website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag in the Socks Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.